In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. This is the fourth Sunday of Epiphany, and we are drawing to a close of this season. We only have uh, next week the fifth Sunday of Epiphany, and then the last Sunday of Epiphany uh, left. So there's only two more weeks of Epiphany after this, and then we have Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. So as a way of beginning, I would just like to uh, tell you that we're starting now to think about how are we going to transition into this good and holy Lent. So that on Ash Wednesday, when you hear that call to keep a holy Lent, that's not the first time you're thinking about how am I going to do this, right? We need to be even now thinking and preparing for how we're going to keep that season. And of course, we want to continue uh, during Epiphany to be contemplating and reflecting prayerfully upon how it is that the Lord has made himself known to us, how he's made himself known to the church. And we see him continuing to make himself known to the world in the Gospel of Mark. We've already seen him gather uh, these two sets of brothers around the Sea of Galilee. You remember that they're fishing and he comes alongside of them and he calls them to him. And now we see him gather the disciples and moving up to this northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee to the city of Capernaum. This is really the last place we would expect Jesus to go, the last place we'd expect the Messiah to go. He's coming to proclaim the kingdom of God. He's coming to sit on David's throne. He's supposed to be in Jerusalem, right? Or at least in Judea. Instead, here he is up here with all these Gentiles in this backwater in this little town on the farthest edge of the Sea of Galilee that he could find. And he goes there and he enters into the synagogue. It's very important that we note that, that we note that Jesus is going to the place where uh, the people are assembling to hear about God, that he is answering their call. They're going into the synagogue to seek God, and he's answering that call by going into the synagogue. It's also important that we see that he's going in on a Sabbath day. Uh, that this is the day of rest, the day that God completes and rests after creation. And so Jesus goes for recreation, that is to remake the whole world, by starting on the Sabbath day. So where the Father had ended in Genesis, now the Son is beginning on the Sabbath day to remake all of the world. And he comes with one who has authority. This is what they note when they hear him proclaiming the kingdom of God. They say, well, he's talking unlike anybody we've heard before. He's speaking as one who has authority. Hopefully, when you hear me speak or you hear other pastors speak, you're hearing somebody who's under authority, not someone who has authority, right? I'm preaching under the authority of the bishop. Hopefully, I'm preaching under the authority of the teaching of the church and of Holy Scripture, right? I have to be uh, welcome and willing for you to come to me and say, Father, this isn't what the Scripture teaches, or don't the fathers teach something else, or isn't this what the church has always taught? Uh, that's what I'm answerable to, right? I don't get to talk and my own authority, and yet that's what Jesus does. He comes and he says, um, I say to you, I say to you. That's how Jesus speaks to them. And then he proclaims himself. He says, I am the one who is sent by the Father. So I say to you that I am the one who is sent by the Father. So he speaks of his own authority and he's revealing himself. He's manifesting himself to the world. He does that through his teaching and preaching, but he also does that through power. He does that through healing, from raising people from the dead. And in this passage, from uh, uh, denouncing demons, right? From sending them out of someone, right? And so he uh, has power even over the demons. And of course, we have that same power in the name of Jesus, right? We have no fear of evil. We have no fear of demons. They have uh, lost 
Jesus is on his throne and we are under his power and authority, so we have nothing to fear from them. And that's how uh, Jesus proclaims with boldness, by his preaching of himself from his own authority and with the power of this healing and casting out of demons. He is fulfilling what the Lord promised Moses in Deuteronomy. This is what the Lord promised. He said, I'm going to send a prophet like you, but one who is going to say everything that I tell them to say. One who has my word in them. This sets Jesus apart and above any other prophet. We read over and over again how the prophets don't want to do what the Lord wants them to do, like Jonah doesn't feel that they're capable to do what the Lord sends them to do, like Isaiah, who's reluctant to do, like Elijah. Uh, over and over again, the prophets don't do everything. Even Moses, who you could hold up as the greatest among prophets, right at the waters of Meribah, loses his patience with the people of God. Right, He separates himself from the will and the person of God, where Christ is completely doing doing all right he's the only one that can do that i will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that i command them that's completeness that's perfection and of course christ is the answer in that perfection that's promised us in deuteronomy he comes with that authority and he comes with that perfection and we're supposed to be testing what we hear when we hear a prophet teach and preach we're supposed to be uh, first of all hearing is this in line with what god has said before and then we're supposed to test does he do what he says he's going to do and of course jesus does everything that the prophets say he's going to do he heals the sick and he raises the dead he does all those things but he also fulfills it in his death and in his resurrection he says i will die and i will raise this temple up on the third day and that's exactly what he does Unlike other people that claim to be the Messiah, before or after Jesus, their followers fall away. The famous revolt, revolt of Bar Kokhba in 134 AD, right? This is what so many uh, scholars, quote unquote, say that Jesus was teaching, was some kind of a political revolt, and that there was going to be an end of, of time, and that he was going to come as this, uh, this earthly king. This is what Bar Kokhba taught. And when the Romans killed him and raised Jerusalem, what happened to his followers? Anybody following Bar Kokhba now? Nobody. They were scattered. And of course, this is what they expected from the followers of Jesus. But what the followers of Jesus said was, oh, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He has risen from the dead and his resurrection is proof in our meeting today, in our hearts and in the lives that we lead. Over and over again, he proves his resurrection and his presence and power with us. So we grow and we grow in strength and in power because we see that this prophet did what he said that he was going to do. But just knowing that isn't enough. In fact, just knowing that could be a big problem. This is what St. Paul is saying about knowledge. I was struck by this passage about knowledge in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, so much so that when I saw these quotation marks uh, here in verse uh, verse 1, I thought, "Why, why are they there? You know, and usually if you look at the front of a Bible and you'll see, it'll tell you, oh, we use italics to mean this, we use quotation marks to mean this. I looked up every foreword I could find for the English Standard Version and no place did they talk about quotation marks. I was so struck by this, I went online and I chatted with one of the technicians for the ESV translation team and they said, no, we don't typically use quotation marks. The translators use this here because they think that St. Paul is quoting the letter that the Corinthians had sent to him. 
That's the thing about Paul's letters. There's always a a response to a letter that they had sent, and we're always kind of hearing the other side of the story, right? How is he responding to them? They had been writing to him about how great they were and how much knowledge they had and how great they were because of their knowledge. And so they're kind of giving those words back to them. He's saying, uh, all of us possess knowledge, and this knowledge puffs up. Great, you know something? It's making you proud. And that's the root of sin, right? When we become proud and we start to think that we have something that makes us great. So St. Paul is giving those words back to them and saying, you think you know something? That very thing puffs you up and keeps you from doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is loving. See, this is what Christians are called to do. We're not called to be knowledgeable, to have some special knowledge that nobody else does. We proclaim freely everything that Christ has given us. There's no special or secret wisdom or knowledge that we have. What sets us apart is that we're willing to love. And this isn't puppy dog love. This isn't a crush. This isn't, oh, aren't they cute and sweet. That's not that kind of a love. The love that we're called to have is sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that gets up in the middle of the night. It's the kind of love that says, I want to do what you want to do. It's the kind of love that says, this is what you need, and I'm willing to give up what I have for you. It's the sacrificial love of Christ. It's the love that Christ has when he takes up his cross. That's the love that we're supposed to be having. And that's the love that we have for those that are weak, with a weak conscience among us. So St. Paul uses this example. He says, you're thinking that you've got all this special knowledge and that you can just eat anything. And he says, yeah, you can eat anything, but it's not about you. It's about the people in your midst that have a weak conscience. It was very difficult to become a Jew in the ancient world, and this is why we have so many people uh, like Cornelius, he's called a God-fearer. They never made that final plunge into Judaism. Of course, for adult men, the idea of circumcision might have been a little bit uh, you know, standoffish, but a bigger problem for their communities would have been food. Where are we going to get uh, food if there isn't a Jewish butcher? Because all of the Roman butchers would have been sacrificing a portion of the animal that they killed to a god. And then they wouldn't have been allowed to eat that because it was food sacrificed to animals. So you'd go into the butcher shop and you'd say, oh, that looks like a nice rack of ribs. And you'd see on the label, sacrifice to Diana. And then you'd say, oh, I can't eat that, right? And so it kept them from being able to eat. And St. Paul says, better that I don't eat meat at all than somebody with a weak conscience sees me doing that. Because it might give them permission, and they might have been a follower of Diana, and then say, oh, Paul does, why can't I? It may be hard for us to find examples in our own lives, but I think if we think for a minute, we'll start to think of some. I think about debt, I think about the use of credit cards. There's some among us that may have the, 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 the strength, the will, the, uh, the ability to pay those off every month, but there's so many that don't. And we get caught up into this cycle of debt. We don't think about the example that we're setting for others. We might be able to go and watch a movie that has lots of swearing or violence or promiscuity, and it might not affect the way that we see the world, but so many others might be affected by that, and it might change the way that they see the world. And so if we invite them in to say, let's watch this promiscuous uh, behavior, they could be influenced by that and say, wait a minute, if that doesn't seem so bad. So we're always wanting to consider out of love the conscience of those in our midst that are weak. To think about them. This is sacrifice. This is love. And the great thing about this love is that when we love, St. Paul says, we're known by God. So now it doesn't matter what we know. What's important is 
Who knows us? That's what's important. It's not important what we know. What's important is who knows us. All of us are made, created by God to desire fame. And you see this get twisted. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to be acknowledged. Everybody wants to be known. And it gets twisted so that we want to be famous in in movies or television or uh, for something that we did. And we know, right? Talk to anybody who's in their 80s about their favorite movie stars growing up, right? And somebody in their teens is going to say, who are you talking about? They're no longer famous. It was fleeting. It's gone. All the people famous now will be totally irrelevant in a decade's time. But God always knows. God always remembers us. And He knows us when we love and do His will. Remember the parable that Jesus tells about those who come and He says, uh, Go away, I never knew you. Because they weren't in the will of the Father. We are known by God eternally when we are acting in His love. And He never forgets us. He never forgets the saints. They are always with Him in heaven and we will always be known by Him. Sometimes they have these uh, polls about um, how many people believe in God. Right? The demons know who God is. Do you notice that? In this gospel lesson, the only person in this synagogue that knows who Jesus is, is the demon. The demon says, you're the Holy One of God. If you have a poll about who is Jesus and do you believe in God, you'd get 100% in hell. So what? What good does it do them? What good does it do this demon to know who Jesus is? He's cast out and the Lord shuts his mouth. Some evangelist asked, do you know who Jesus is? The demon says, yes, I've known who Jesus was from before you were born. What good does it do him? Nothing. The good that we seek is not what we know, because it puffs us up with pride. It is who knows us. And we are known by God when we love sacrificially. May we love and be known by God this day and forevermore wholly and completely in His kingdom and in His heart forevermore.